If you would, please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We are looking at the first eight verses as we've been studying this book. Our focus today will be the end of verse 5 and verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the first eight verses. We'll read the Word of God and then pray that He will show us what is here. Verse 1. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God that has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction and abundance of joy, their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation and the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in love we inspire it in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I am not speaking this as a command, but I am proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. Father, give us ears to hear as we look at this text. As Father, as, as, as you move in your people, may we understand this massive privilege of being in the body of Christ. Father, may we understand the grace of our salvation. And Father, may we understand that we are but pilgrims here passing through. Father, let our focus be upon your kingdom and its righteousness. And Father, as we rejoice, as you add so much to us. Father, again, I thank you for drawing us together this glorious day. Father, I thank you for the moisture. And Father, I thank you for your protection of our precious saints. Lord, help us. Help us bow before your word and be doers. And Father, may we see the hand of an awesome God as you move in our community, in our lives, and in this world to awesome things. To Christ and Christ alone. Amen. We're looking at this letter because he starts it out in chapter 8. And actually, chapter 8 and chapter 9 are dealing with giving. Favorite topic among Christians. They love, they line up in droves to go to a church that's going to teach on giving. And what happens is, is that he has showed us in chapter 7 that the church has been reconciled. All right? You've you got 1 Corinthians. If you read that letter, you sit there and go, oh my. I mean, the first six chapters, he is blasting those people. And then in chapter 7, he says, now concerning the things you wrote. <laughs> and you're like, eee! They had a very large ego problem. All right? And, and, and it had transferred over that they were allowing false teaching. It was complete chaos. They said that if unbelievers came into your congregation, they would think you were mad. So we've seen that. Paul had sent Titus back to Corinth with another letter we don't have. It's called the severe letter. And all I can think of is I've read 1 Corinthians. The severe letter must have been a dandy. So he had sent that letter back. And in the process of taking that letter back, Paul was very concerned. What was their response going to be? Okay, And he came back, Titus came back with a good report that they had changed. They wanted the restoration 
And that's what you see in chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians. All right? So he begins verse 1 of chapter 8 with now. Now that this has all been set aside, now that you're back on track, now. And we've been going through this, and we have looked at this, a biblical view of giving. What does the Bible teach? And we spent a lot of time, because there's a lot of stuff out there that people believe. I have shown you biblically that nowhere does it say that the church is to tithe. Well, how could that be? Well, then go back and listen to the messages online, because I'm not going to go back through all of it again. But the tithe was a tax. All right? And the giving in the church is purely voluntary. All right, but Jesus taught in the gospel record that giving is a perfect barometer of your spiritual condition. You can go back to all the gospel records, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you'll see that Jesus uses money more than anybody to show the condition of the hearts. But now Paul, speaking to the Corinthians who have... You know what? I'm not foolish enough to say... The restoration has taken place, but I would call it fragile because I know how people are. All right. So you have this fragile relationship and the Apostle Paul is wanting them to step up. And he uses an illustration of the poorest churches in the Gentile world. And that's the Macedonians. We know of three churches in Macedonia, Philippi, Thessalonica and the Bereans. Right? But it was a very impoverished place. It was taxed extraordinarily heavy. Um, their main focus was mining, and Rome took all of the ore. Not only did they take all the ore, they had a tax on smelters. So if I was boiling down my nickel, it cost I had to pay a tax just for the privilege of, of, of purifying the nickel, or the bronze, or the gold, or the silver. Okay, So it was very, very, very poor. And Paul had asked the Corinthians, to take up a collection for Jerusalem because the Jerusalem church was the first mega church and they were dirt poor. I mean, they had grown by 10,000 in less than a week and immediately you're kicked out of the synagogue. You would have lost your job. Your family would have disowned you. It happened at Pentecost. So a lot of these people were traveling from other countries and they decided, well, I can't go back to the first Baptist church Uh Uh-oh, there isn't one. There's only one church. So they all wanted to stay in Jerusalem. So you immediately have a 10,000-member church that don't have no money. That's why you see Barnabas selling his property and giving it to the apostles. Why? Because they had serious physical needs in the Jerusalem church. Paul, out among the Gentiles, was collecting money across the Gentile worlds of the churches there so that he could take one big collection to Jerusalem so that the Jews in Jerusalem who were still skeptical about the Gentiles would see this massive amount of money show up from who? Brothers and sisters who are Gentiles. Okay? Now, he uses the Macedonians as an illustration to the Corinthians. If you drop south of the river that cuts the Greek peninsula in half, then you run into Achaia. Achaia had Athens and Corinth were two cities, and they were extraordinarily wealthy cities. And so he was wanting them to come step up. Be like the Macedonians. And we've been looking at this in verse 4. We've seen that the Macedonians understood that it was a privilege to give. And, and, and that's just amazing to me. 
The Macedonians in verse 4 were begging Paul with much urging for the favor of participation. They were begging, they were exhorting is the word there for the favor, and they wanted to be a part of it. And yet they were poor, dirt poor. But they understood that it was a privilege to help the saints. It was a privilege to help the saints. Drop down there, you'll see. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. All right. We looked at that last week. All right. That's worship. What did they do first? Gave themselves to the Lord. That's that Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present yourself as what? A living sacrifice, holy and pure. This is your act of spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay? To be conformed means to be pressed into the mold. He says, don't do that. Get your mind right. All right? A living sacrifice. And see, sacrifice... We have to understand sacrifice. That means giving something precious. That means giving something precious. The Macedonians were giving of themselves that it would literally affect their lives. But they wanted to help the suffering brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And that was their worship. Why? Because they set themselves to the Lord first. See, if I make him priority, all the rest of it is irrelevant. He is my priority. I want to be hooked into what he's doing. And all the rest of your life will follow. Seek my kingdom and my righteousness. And what happens? All things will be added unto you. We can quote that, but can we live it? Have I made God first? Is he preeminent in my life? Because your giving shows what's preeminent in your life. All right. I, I've had dealings as a pastor. I've had, had dealings with people who are struggling in their marriages. Um, and every marriage that I've had been involved with, the, no, the, the issue is always the same. Money. Money. All right. Which tells me you don't have your priorities right. That's why you shouldn't marry an unbeliever. Why? What's their priority? Well, it's going to be 180 degrees out of phase. All right. And yet these Macedonians were willing to give sacrificially, meaning that I'm going to actually change my lifestyle so I can help the saints that I've never met. Nor I may not meet on this side of heaven. We have been blessed in this congregation because we've met Pastor Paul and Loon. They worshiped with us. Remember, we've met Pastor Philip out of India. He was here, remember? All the Russian brothers I know. I've hung out with them. We went fox hunting, which is creepy. We went mushroom hunting, and all the mushrooms looked like they were too close to Chernobyl. <laughs> I've been mushroom. I grew up back east. I've been mushroom hunting. You get mushrooms, little bitty mushrooms. They had mushrooms the size of basketballs. Oh, that's a good one. But is it safe? Oh, yeah, we'll. No, we won't. 
I've hung out with these guys. I know these people. Okay? Uh, Dimitri, very cautious of the Americans. He, he was afraid. And then I think it was my third trip or something. He, he invited me over for dinner. as my last night in Oriel. And he says, I want you to come over and eat dinner. And that is the biggest deal that you can get from a Russian. When they invite you to your house, that means, all right, we're, we got it. I went back uh, six months later and had to do his funeral. I mean, I showed up in Oriel, some midnight train. I had been awake for about 30 hours and never slept on anything that wasn't moving. And I get in and he says, yeah, you're going down. Did I tell you about Dimitri? And I said, no. And he says, you didn't get the email. And I said, well, if you sent it right. And he says, well, he died. And I was like, you're kidding me. And he says, yeah, and you're going to his church and do his funeral tomorrow. What? <laughs> but we know these people. That's why we give. That's why we give sacrificially. The Macedonians didn't know the Jews. They knew a Pharisee who had came out of there, some guy named Paul. Which brings me to the next one, and this one here. There are certain texts of Scripture that I am just very uncomfortable teaching. For one is giving. I don't like teaching on giving. But I've got two chapters, 8 and 9, and it wasn't like I can go from 7 to chapter 10. You guys can read 8 and 9 on your own. Okay? Here's another one. What you see there at the end of verse 5 and then verse 6. And to us, by the will of God, so we urge Titus... That as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work also. All right. What I call this is giving is submissive. Submissiveness. Okay. But it's key to this phrase. I want you to see this. Who are they submitted to? It's the will of God. Right? So that's submissive. What's the other one? To the leadership. To the leadership. To the pastor and to the will of God. Okay? It is... Now, you ever had somebody ask you this? I don't know what God's will is. Well, it's easy. Get a concordance and go look for the will of God. (laughs) And it's... It's not hidden. It's not hidden. But did you see what it says here? It is the will of God that they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to to us. That's God's will. It's coming out of a heart of sacrifice, a heart that is committed to God, a heart that says, I am a sacrificial living sacrifice. And... The will of God is not only to give themselves unto the Lord, but they give themselves where else? To us. Technically, contextually, it is to the Apostle Paul, Titus, and Timothy. Probably Silas too. Okay, you've got to understand, who were their first pastors? If you take the church of Philippi, take the church of Thessalonica, just take the Bereans, who were their first pastors? Paul, Timothy, and Titus. And they had submitted to them to do this. They were their spiritual leaders. 
they were submitted to them. In fact, their devotion to the Lord, remember, worship, led them to easily and eagerly submit to the leadership of the pastors. You have to submit to the Lord first. Because when you submit to the Lord first, then all of a sudden you realize that the spiritual leaders that God puts in your way, where did they come from? They come from the Lord. And now we struggle with it. And you know what? Listen, I know all the stories. I've seen the whores. I I know all the charlatans are out there. That's why I tell you guys, read the book. If you read the book, then you'll know if I'm pulling your leg. This is a rocket science here, people. I am not an educated man. I know what this book says. He didn't hide the mysteries in there and says, you can't find them. And yet I watch people who will sit under fools and wonder why they're being cheated. And I sit there and say, well, why are you sitting under fools? Devotion to the Lord is the heart of worship. Until you do that, you will never truly worship. You will never understand the freedom of worship. The things that are called worship today is blasphemous. It is not worship. It is entertainment. Once you have committed, then it is easy and eager to submit to the leadership God puts in place. The Macedonians realized that they were under shepherds of Christ. These were Christ's men. They stand in the place of Christ. And what I mean by that, no, I'm not doing propitiation of your sins. What I mean by that is that they gave leadership. They gave direction to the church. And the Macedonians responded to the leadership. These men represent Christ. These men take care of my soul. These men show me the deep things of God. I can look at their lives. I can see the emphasis that they have in the book of life. That says, I need to listen to them. Normally when I deal with people, not so much lately, but they come to me trying to find the loophole. And what I've learned is, if I don't produce a loophole for them, they'll go to another church. You look at the church in Castle Rock right now, it is about a sixteenth of an inch deep and about four miles wide. And as soon as something hits, it cracks and it scatters and it's gone. And it makes a mess. You know, as small as this community is in the years that I have been the senior pastor here, do you know that I have seen nine pastoral problems where the pastor, through multiple different reasons, were jettisoned? Now, I've seen a bunch of them where they jettisoned because the guy was teaching truth. Not as many. But I mean, it was either they didn't know what to do with the money. They didn't know what to do with the women uh, and a few other odds and ends. But other than that, it really wasn't that bad. And then I watch them. They go out and they start another church in Lone Tree or Highlands Ranch or Monument. 
And the people just follow. That's Castle Rock. This isn't a big thriving metropolis. And yet I keep asking myself, is there no discernment anymore? The leadership should be giving direction to the church, should be giving leadership to the church. And the people, the mass, like the Macedonians, should respond to this leadership. God wants His people to respond. Not only to Him, but to His leaders as well. And this is kind of important. I'll show you. I don't like teaching on this because... Yeah, whatever. First Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Younger men likewise are to be subject to your elders and all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit. Peter starts the letter out as a fellow elder. He doesn't say I'm an apostle. Says as a fellow elder. Hebrews chapter 13. This is one of the verses that I argue with God about more than any verses of, of Scripture. This in here just annoys me. And God's already told me I don't care. Chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief. For this would be unprofitable to you. Okay. What I don't like about this is that I have to give an account for your souls. And some of you (laughs) are a little more accountable than others. (laughs) Okay. But, But do you see what it just says there? I watch people want to be in leadership. And I said, you read that? You read that? You should read that. I mean, you don't have to be a Greek theologian to understand this. Uh Uh-oh. Do you understand that God puts in place in his church men that he set aside, gifted and equipped to keep sight of? an oversight and protection of your souls. Obey your leaders and submit to them. All right, I got another one. Uh, First Thessalonians. Chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. But we request of you, brethren... That you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. And that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. You want me to go through and give you the Greek meanings of appreciate and esteem? You wouldn't like them. Appreciate means... Pay them well. I didn't write it. 
Esteem them says you need to get to know them. You know how many pastors have gotten themselves in hot water because we didn't call me when I was sad. The truth of the matter is, it's the congregation's responsibility to get to know the pastor. But sometimes congregations get a little bit on the self-absorbed side and think it's the responsibility of one man to get to know all of you. When the truth of the matter is, it is all of you who should get to know me or whoever God puts in leadership. And see, it's, it's, it's like my grandpa used to say, that's kind of like pushing a chain. You can't do that. You're not going to get there. It is going to be a struggle. And yet it says you should esteem them. They have charge over you. What? In the Lord. Whose idea was it? God's. And they give you what? Instruction. Had a guy one time come to me and he says, you know, I really like what you do. And I would like to sit down and uh, you disciple me. And I just smiled at him and says, well, if you would come to church, you would be discipled. I mean, I hate to think, I don't know what you guys think I'm up here doing. <laughs> Regard them highly because they are over you in the Lord. They give you instruction. The Macedonians were like this. They did this. When they heard about this issue in Jerusalem, whoever they heard it from, could have been Paul, could have been Silas maybe, could have been Timothy, could have been Titus. Whoever it was, was in leadership over them, had authority over them, and they responded because they were submitted to the leadership. Why? Verse 6. It's the will of God. It's the will of God. It's amazing to me. The will of God. Then verse 6 says, So we urge Titus that as he had previously made in the beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. Okay, Paul writing to the Corinthians, the relationship has been restored, all right, because of the severe letter, Titus has come back to Paul. He has given him the report. Paul is thrilled out of his mind. Based on the example then, Paul says, of these Macedonian believers, we urge Titus. Okay, sometime in the past, Titus had visited Corinth. He had started and brought up this offering that was... In, 1 Corinthians 16 says, I want this offering given on the first day of the week. What day is that? Sunday. All right. On the first day of the week, take up this offering for the saints in Jerusalem. He had started doing that. He had encouraged them to start this collection. And it's over a year ago. Over a year before 2 Corinthians is written. And Corinth had started doing this. Titus had returned on the second visit with the severe letter, the confronting letter, the one that uh, you will hear stepped on their toes. Actually, it probably run over them like a bulldozer. 
The restoration had taken place. It is brought to focus in chapter 7. Titus told them to complete that work that they had started. What happens? Well, anytime you get out of kelter with your leadership, what happens to giving? In his first visit, he's already told them. All right. A letter. Okay, listen. There's four letters to the Corinthians. See if I can confuse this more. Okay. The first letter he wrote them, they sent him a letter back, had questions. Then you get 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, he gets on their pride in the first six chapters. Chapter 70 says, Now concerning things that you wrote me. And, and if you look at that, that is a mess. I mean, it, it, I cannot imagine. Somewhere in between that letter. And the severe letter, Paul went and visited Corinth. And he had false teachers attack him in the congregation. And no one in the congregation defended Paul. So he left brokenhearted. So when he got back to Ephesus, he writes a letter called the severe letter. Titus takes that back to Corinth. Okay? And he don't know how they're going to respond to it. And I'm thinking, man, I'm I'm still thinking about 1 Corinthians. I don't know what the severe letter was. So he sends that one back. All of a sudden, Titus comes back and says, it was positive. They have confronted the false teachers, the false brethren, the false accusers. They have dealt with. And the restoration has taken place. So he writes 2 Corinthians. Because at the restoration of the fellowship between the Corinthian believers and the Apostle Paul and his team, at that restoration, he says, get back to giving. The Jewish believers are hurting. Titus had came back with the good report, and now in 2 Corinthians, he brings it up again. This offering for the Jews. See, these pastors... Their leaders were responsible for directing um, and informing them on what they're supposed to do. I mean, we all like to think, well, I'm just a natural born leader. The truth of the matter is, Jesus says you're a bunch of sheep. And I mean, you know, I would think that I was more of a puma. And Jesus said, no, you're a sheep. On a good day. And you know what? I have watched people now for a number of years. And I've concluded that if I'm a sheep, I'm insulted that I'd be compared to a people. I would. I look at people and think, they ain't no sheep. That's stupid. These pastors were their leaders and they were responsible for having oversight on their souls. They were responsible for growing them into things of Christ. They were responsible for making them disciples. They were responsible for making their relationship between Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and the authority of His Word make them more Christ-like. That's why you were saved, to be conformed into the image of Christ. How are you going to find out what that image looks like? Well, you should have some godly leaders. Paul says, the things you have seen, the things you have received, the things you have heard, do these things. Why? He was a godly man. When you have a godly leader, a God-fearing leader, he is to be cherished. Because I hate to break the news to you, there aren't that many. 
Paul warned Timothy there will come a time when people will not want to hear sound doctrine. And they will do what? Heap to themselves teachers that tickle their ears. Do you know what that phrase means to me? It's not hard to find people to tickle your ears. Because I can heap them up. Which implies that those who aren't worried about tickling your ears, but presenting you holy and pure before God, are few and far between. You should listen to them. Paul's getting the Corinthians to do what God was expecting they would should respond and how they should respond. Collect this thing over time. Collect this money over a year. It had started, but it had stopped. Why? The turmoil in the church. I can uh right now I know one, two, three, four, six situations in churches where the leadership has not been forthright with the money. Okay? That's in Castle Rock. It's not like I'm hanging out in Aurora or Denver or Colorado Springs. I'm talking about in Castle Rock. And the people have stopped giving. And now the guys that are in there trying to fix the mess can't understand why nobody's giving. And I'm like, well, duh. What did you think would happen? When there is turmoil, specifically in the leadership, the giving will stop. And now he says, Titus, I wanted him to remind them, because of the restoration, start this offering again. He wants to get it going. The reconciliation between Paul and the church in Corinth... The restoration, this relationship, yes, it's fragile. Absolutely fragile. I know how people are. And he wants them to follow the Macedonian example. I mean, I go read 1 Thessalonians. And that church will freak you out. And I don't know who the elders are. I don't know who the pastor is. I don't know if they were published. I don't know if they had a radio program or television show. I don't know. But what God was doing in that community of believers was heard throughout Christendom. How they had turned from idols to the true and living God. And they had done it through turmoil. And there has never been a time in the history of the church that a church has not existed in Thessalonica. When the Turks had it. When the Germans had it. When the Ottomans had it. And there's always been a church there. There's a church there right now. Thriving, Bible-expositing church. Why? Because they took the Word of God as the Word of God. And it has been that way. And it's been tradition after tradition after generation after generation after century after century after century. And it's always been there. The relationship with the Corinthians had been fractured. It is now coming back together. There had been multiple schisms. Now they're not. And he wants them to follow the Macedonian example and get back on track. Whenever the people in a church become disillusioned about their leaders, the giving drops. It happened in Corinth. happens today. And the truth of the matter is, it always happens. When the leadership is wrong, 
That's why, if you think about it, if you catch an elder in a sin that he refuses to repent of, what do you do? You publicly bring him before the congregation. Now, he may not be standing there, but you stand before the congregation and you say, he has sinned and refuses to repent. That does not mean the average Christian. It is the leadership. Why? They need to know the seriousness of what they're doing. They should be afraid. When this church years ago asked me to be an elder, I fought them for five years. And I'm still mad at them. (laughs) Where there is confusion in the leadership, where there's chaos in the leadership, there will be distrust in the leadership. And if you can't trust the leadership, then where are they leading you? I remember when I became the senior pastor of this church. I had a group of people in the Sunday school classes that were spreading the word that I should not be the pastor. And they were taking their Sunday school groups and said, we'll all meet for Sunday school. But nobody should go to worship service because we don't believe he's been called. It was an interesting time. Fascinating time. I even had one kind of like the ringleader, the way I call it. He says, I'll wait you out. (laughs) He's gone. I still I've been over 20 years. Glad he wasn't holding his breath. Why? I didn't want this job. People ask you, how'd you know you were called? I still don't know that I am. But here I stand. When you can't trust the leadership, leadership should leave. I mean, if they've dug themselves a hole, fine. You ain't going to fix that. I have not seen anywhere in Scripture either it says you reinstate one. I know you can put them out, but I don't see where it says, okay, after 20 years in the wilderness, they can come back. It is hard for a congregation to be generous people in any church where there is chaos and turmoil and confusion and distrust of the leadership. Unfaithful leaders. Tough on giving. Tough on giving. So I I want you to think, and I'm going to kind of wrap this thing up. Be thankful to God any time you have faithful leadership. This church has been blessed with faithful leadership. We have sent uh, one, two, three, four. Four of our elders are in leadership or pastorates right now. That's not bad, people. Now, we got a couple that didn't make it, but... All right. But you ever thought about that? That's amazing. We had a kid who wanted to be an elder, and now all of a sudden he is teaching Greek with his doctorate at Wheaton. Are we thankful for those people? We invested in these. I'm getting ready to do a conference in New Jersey at the end of the month. And it's with a guy who wanted to be a leader. And now he's in a big church in New Jersey someplace. And I'm supposed to go there and teach his elders and his pastor and laity and all these other things, a few odds and ends. And, and you know, here, here it's still going. We're still multiplying. That is amazing to me. 
You don't plan that. And yet God has blessed this fellowship, as small as we are, with some amazing faithful leaders. All right, I'll show you something. The end of verse 6 there. It sent Titus that previously made in the beginning that you complete this work. This first day of the week giving. Okay? Look what he says then next. Completing you this gracious work as well to the Corinthians. All right? Did you note that in verse 1, it says, we wish to make known to you the grace of God. And then down here, he says, I want you to finish this gracious work. Listen, it's all God's grace. Did you know that the local church can be a vehicle for God's grace? Paul told Timothy at the end, it's going to get tough. It's going to get tough. But Timothy, stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You are showing God's grace, Corinth, by giving to these poor saints. Did you ever think about that? We give Lena money and... It supports her living, and she works in three different orphanages in the Orel Obelisk. And, and I've, you've seen the pictures of all of these kids. We send her extra money so that they get them breathing treatment machines that the orphanage couldn't afford. And we got nine of them. So these kids that have respiratory problems, asthma and whatever... This is what they needed. And we are just blessing these poor saints. I remember preaching at a little bitty church in, uh, they didn't even have a bathroom, had an outhouse. Okay? And I preached out of Revelations, and when I got done, this woman came up to me crying, and she hands me a bag of eggs. She says, I have no money. But God, I've struggled with that, and you explained it. God sent you here. And I got a bag of eggs. Yippee. But that lady gave out of her poverty in gratitude because God had sent me. God is going to fill up your empty cup of grace. Any pastor who leads the people to give leads them to experience more grace. Got that? It is God's grace that moves to give. It is God's grace in giving. And it is God's grace that blesses and supplies. By giving, all you're doing is simply exposing yourself to his grace. That's all. When people teach people to give, they will be enriched, not impoverished. Not impoverished. I wish I could give you all the illustrations and times and experiences that I have seen in just my brief life of the times that God did that. 
It's amazing to me. And not just me. I mean, I deal with a lot of people and I hear them. I gave and look what happened. I did this and look what happened. And I did that and and look what happened. And everybody says, well, that's just... No. Why? Because you will struggle with that until you willfully give yourself to the Lord. I taught a series down in Albuquerque. It's been a number of years ago. And, And I called it the garden. Garden of Gethsemane. Okay. You remember it? Jesus is praying. Three times. What does he ask for? Get this cup away from me. Now, let me tell you something. He knew there was no plan B. Remove this cup from me, but not my will. Yours. The problem in the church today is nobody wants to go to the garden. I know what the will of God is. It ain't that hard to find. But are you willing to go and drink of that cup? That's hard. I want to give everything that I am. All of my plans. All of my goals. All of it. Gone. What? Your will. Really? Really? Today? How about Thursday? I remember a guy telling me one time, I hope Christ doesn't come back until I get a a Caribbean cruise. What Bible are you looking at? It's just a big body of water. When we give, it is God's grace that causes us to give. It is God's grace that is involved in the giving. And it is God's grace that blesses and supplies us. When we teach people to do that, we will enrich them. We will not impoverish them. It is what is called grace upon grace. To the Corinth and to us today, Paul, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Spirit of God says, Be like the Macedonians. Submit to your leaders. Submit to your leaders. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Macedonians. Father, I I thank you that all the encouragement that I get from Thessalonians. Father, I I just, I I pray people get uncomfortable talking about giving. And yet, Father, my, my greatest passion now is that each and every one of us this day will give ourselves to the Lord. That we would be living in holy sacrifices. Father, uh, that is only going to be by your work. Thank you, Father. Thank you for these words. Thank you for the privilege of being in the body of Christ. Father, thank you for the privilege of giving. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of worshiping through giving. And Father, thank you for the ability to submit those you have an authority over us. Praise you, Lord, and I thank you. Thank you so much. In Christ's name, amen.